This morning we have a special guest with us, a guest pastor. Uh, we have two strategic churches that we've adopted that we're strategic partners with in New York City. One of those is Connection Church. Their pastor, Daniel McGee, is with us today. Daniel, stand. Let us give PCBC a warm welcome to Daniel. Welcome him in. Good morning. Well, as Pastor Bill said earlier, my name is Daniel. Uh, I am uh, 11 years living in New York City, but as you can tell, I don't sound like a typical New Yorker. Uh, I'll keep it PG, too, by the way. Um, so I'm originally from Arkansas. I grew up in a small town called Star City. Anybody have any idea where that is? All right, awesome. So that's where I grew up, 2,000 people in a very small town, and now I live in a, a city where there's probably 1,000 people on my block. So it's, it's a little different than, uh, than I grew up. I enjoy being there. Uh, this is uh, an opportunity for me to visit you here for the first time. Some of you have been to New York City um, to serve with our church. And I look forward to connecting with you uh, at some point today. Hopefully you can come by at 4 o'clock and I can tell you some cool stories about New York City. You can learn more about it. Even if you're not going in October, it'll be a good time uh, to come hang out with me. But I want to thank you as a partner church of ours, number one. I also want to thank Pastor Bill. You guys share him with me. I meet with him uh, pretty much every week, and unless I have to cancel for some reason. Uh, but we uh, talk every week. He's become just a, a confidant for me and a, a mentor and an advisor. But more than that, he's actually become a very dear friend of mine. So thank you for sharing your pastor with me. Uh, if you, uh, you're, you're blessed to have him. Uh, I, I know I'm blessed, blessed to have him too. The second thing is at 4 o'clock today, room 142, in the, which is the college room. I nailed it. That's exactly where it's going to be, 4 o'clock. Look forward to seeing you guys there. Some cool stories. Uh, Bill's been there with me through the last couple of years, uh, which have been super challenging for our family. And um, he's been there to help me out. And so this past week, I actually have a, a really cool story to tell that I wish I could have said I, said I orchestrated it so I could share with you this week because it's a cool story. But the show FBI on CBS uh, reached out to us. They scouted our house. Uh, we rent a house in Queens. About three years ago, they scouted it for the first time, and they chose a different location to shoot in, you know, a film. And then they scouted again some time later. Well, they came back last week and said, hey, we're scouting again. I was like, well, whatever. You're not going to choose us. You know, I never get chosen. It's like dodgeball all over again. I'm the last one chosen, right? And so uh, they come and they scout it, and the next day, the guy named Seth calls me back and says, hey, we've chosen your house. I'm like, ka-ching, because <laughs> that means they're going to pay us pretty good money. All right, so uh, that was a blessing, and so they reached out to us and, and did it. It went through. They hooked it up with our neighbors uh, as well. They paid the neighbors some money too, but check out some of these pictures from, uh, from the place. So this is out back of my house, the, a shared driveway. You can see how closely the cars are parked together, but those are the stars with the FBI stuff on them of the FBI show out there. My neighbor got this from his uh, fire escape, so shout out to Ray if you're watching. Thank you. Uh, and keep going through here. This next one is a motorcycle that has a, a camera attached to it. So when you see those scenes where they're running, this is a chase scene uh, that's going to come out season five, episode four or five. They're not sure which one yet. Uh, but there'll be a chase scene in our back alleyway, and uh, they use that to get that running footage uh, as well. So let's keep going. This is out front of my house, the house to the right of the awning. That's just, those are two houses, even though it looks like one. I know it's like one in Oklahoma, but in Arkansas, or excuse me, Arkansas. In New York, we have to put them close together. Uh, anybody familiar with, uh, oh gosh, I'm chasing around, Aladdin, right? The genie? You know, New York is kind of like the genie bottle. It's like, great cosmic power. Yee 
living space, right? That's, that's New York. So uh, the house on the right, this is our interior. Those are actually our couches. I built that bookshelf. That's a shout-out to me right there. Um, they, they change things. Some of that stuff is mixed in as ours as well. Let's keep going. Uh, and this is the table. They put different crosses up and different pictures because the, the scene is a Catholic mom who's very devout in her faith, and she finds out that her teenage daughter has been killed. So spoiler alert, that's going to happen. Uh, the good news is it's just a script. It's not real. Uh, so that's, that's there. They're going to talk with the uh, mom there around the table. Let's keep going. And this is out front of the house. And I, this is just a few of the people working, but the entire street was shut down. You couldn't drive down it. And uh, that's Seth. That's me on the left there talking to Seth. He's the head of production, and he's the kind of the authority figure there in charge of everything. And lots of people working. I think we have one more picture. Nope, we've got two more. There's the directors getting ready to shoot in front of our house. Uh, that's our front stoop area. And here's the last picture. We'll keep it up there for a minute. So this is Seth, and we're inside the house here. But we, um, we wanted to go see the, 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 the pomp and circumstance of what a, a filming would look like. We've seen them before in the city, but never in our home. So we wanted to go look. And so my wife and I on Thursday, so they rented our house Wednesday to prep it. Thursday was the filming, and Friday is when they clean everything up and get it back ready for us to move in, which was the day before yesterday. Um, we go on Thursday, and we're driving to the house, and I'm like, let's, let's, let's walk up to the house. And my wife, any Enneagram, you know what I'm talking about, an Enneagram 1 through 9? Raise your hand if you know what that is. All right? Okay, a lot more in this service than the previous service. All right, good. So my wife is a 1, and that means she likes to follow the rules. Anybody, any 1s in here? All right, that's, that's my, there we go, a lot of you, here we go. Very orderly, follow the rules, all right? I'm a seven, so I'm fun to hang out with, all right? You should come to the party at four, all right? Sevens kind of like to break the rules or, or bend them, all right? And so uh, I'm like, let's just go. She's like, no, 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 we're not supposed to be there. The, you know, that would be, you know, against the rules. And, and I park, and I was like, come on, come with me. Oh, Daniel, you're going to make me go up there. So Carrie's her name. So I'm like, come on, Carrie. So she takes a step of faith, and we go. And we walk up and uh, discreetly take photos, right, like this, like, uh, got some of those photos. And then uh, we get closer, and Carrie's telling me, they're going to say something to us. They're going to make us leave. And so we go, and then we, we get closer, and we see a neighbor across the street. So we cross the street, talk to her. And then my next-door neighbor, Ray, shout out for the photos that we had up here. Um, she, Ray sees us across the street, so he walks over to us, and we're talking to him. And now we're much more comfortable, okay? We're, we're there. Nobody's kicked us out. It's our street. It's okay. Uh, I was comfortable the whole time. Uh, but we were not. As Ray and I are talking, and Carrie's talking to my neighbor, Seth, who you see in the picture here, comes across. And he, he's seen me all week prior. They came over to, to take, they looked at our house like three or four times to make sure they had everything ready for the, for the setup and the shooting. So... He, he comes over, sees me, and says, hey, Daniel, how you doing? Hey, Seth, good to see you. We're shaking hands. He's like, we're just here taking some pictures, seeing what it's about. And he says, hey, uh, would you and your wife want to come inside the house? And I look at each other. I'm like, heck, yeah. <laughs> so we, we go in the house, and we go inside and, and, and get to look around. And it is so cool to see how they transitioned our space into a, a, a TV set that they're doing all this. It was really cool. And, and the thing that really stood out to me was we – in the same way in our lives, many times, we, we go through that same progression spiritually where we, we feel like we're timid, all right? We're, 
should we, could we, timid, and then all of a sudden, we have someone greater than Seth named Jesus who invites us in. Does that make sense? You know, in so many ways, I feel inferior and, and much more unworthy than I should, and it shocks me when Jesus invites me in. But today I want to talk about what grace, responsible grace, that this grace that God gives to us, and as great as Seth is, and he was a wonderful person to work with, there is someone greater than him in a much bigger way who this morning is inviting us into his home, into his realm of authority, and he wants to shower us with something good. He wants to give us privilege and opportunity and he's inviting us in to share in this grace. And, and this grace that he wants to give to you this morning, which he is giving to you this morning, is something that we are to be responsible with and steward and to share with others. So today's tagline for the message is responsible grace. And the tagline would be loving people you don't like. Loving people you don't like. You know, some people are easy to love. For example, me. I mean, who doesn't like me? But some people aren't quite like you and me, right, that are not, maybe not as easy to love. But there are some people that we get along with a lot easier and some people that, are, that require extra grace in our lives. Some people we disagree with on things that are very serious or very um, consequential. And we can find ourselves not extending grace to them. We can find ourselves not liking them. And if we're not careful, as Christians, we could do the unthinkable and find ourselves not even loving them. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2 is one of the verses you can follow along if you want in your Bibles or, or, or you version. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2 is a verse that Bill and I talked about quite a bit. And he, it says, this is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. And it says, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. And that word administration there is translated a couple different ways in, in other translations for good reason. It's because when you go from another language, one language to another, a lot of times there isn't just a perfect translation for that. If you know multiple languages, you get this very, uh, very easily. Uh, and so this administration of God's grace is also in the English Standard Version translated stewardship, administration of. So you're, you're in charge over, you're administering it, or the stewardship of it is something that's been given to me, but now there's responsibility on this side of it for me to do something with. I don't just hoard it for myself and keep it, but it's something that I'm to share. And the New Living Translation goes even further and expounds even further and says that God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace. That there was this special responsibility that God had given to me, Paul, is who's writing this, to extend his grace. To give it to people. And we know that his, his administration, if you will, was to be the uh, apostle to the Gentiles. Of course, he ministered to Jewish people as well, but he had this special calling of extending this grace to the Gentiles. All of these agree, no matter how it's translated, that there's a responsibility on the recipient of God's grace in order to give. Some things are very easy to share in life, right? Like sharing a recipe. Well, I don't know. Some recipes I don't like to share, right? I like to keep those closely guarded. But, you know, recipes or, or tips for this or tips for that or, or a good joke or a nice article that you feel like will, will be informative for, for someone. And you, you have a meme or a gif that you want to share because it just cracks you up. And so you want to share that and you want to tag someone on social media. So some things are very easy to share. 
But sometimes grace is not easy to share. Because whoever it is that is that person we don't like or the, or the person that's on the other side, in that moment, we believe they don't deserve our grace. They don't deserve it. And you know what? Maybe they don't. And that's where we have to come back to see how God has graced us. How he, while we don't deserve it, has poured out grace upon grace. And so the question I have for you to consider this morning is how quick are you to share God's grace with people you don't like? Well, let's forget about those for a minute. How quick are you to share God's grace with your family, your wife or your husband, your children, your parents, your siblings? That's a tough one, isn't it? I got two older kids, so two older siblings. Uh, I don't have older kids. That would be weird. <laughs> um, my, whatever. We're not going to chase that rabbit. See, Bill, I told you they run across here, and I just I, I, I go for them. What about extending grace to people at church? How quick are you to do that? Friends, and now let's go back to the people you don't like. How quick are you to extend people grace that are on the other side of whatever argument you're having? And I'm telling you, we live in the world of arguments, don't we? And if you're online at all, arguments are happening. If you're in person at all, they're happening. What about extending grace to the people now, stay, stay with me on this, that, that aren't as good as you. Now, maybe you would say, and like I would say, I don't believe I'm better than anyone. But is that really true? Is that really true that we don't believe that? Because here's where I struggle. I'm an Uber driver in New York City, all right? I've seen some stuff, all right? I've had some stories and there are a lot of drivers out there that are not good drivers. So I tend to get angry at inferior drivers. And the more I really dive into that, why do I feel so angry towards them? Well, the first answer is because they're terrible drivers. That's why. But if you get down further, it's because I feel like I'm better than they are. I'm a better driver. And maybe I am a better driver. Statistically speaking, I probably am, right? I mean, I drive a lot. But if I'm not careful, that reality, I mean, we all have different strengths in here. You're better at someone else than something. At something, you're better than somebody else. And if you're not careful, you can start to feel superior to them. And that's where extending grace is difficult. The Uber driving reminded me of a joke in between the services. There was a, a New York City cab driver and a preacher that both died on the same day. Don't, this is not doctrinally correct. This is just a joke, all right? So... They go to heaven, and St. Peter's there at the gate, and the cab driver goes first, and he says, oh, come on in, we'll give you a gold staff and a robe of silk. I'm like, all right. Preacher comes in second, and he says, all right, you come on in here, we'll take this, take this wooden staff and this cloth robe. And he's like, wait a second, I'm a man of the cloth, I'm a preacher. I've done all these things. Why did he get a gold staff and a silk robe, and all I got was this wooden one and a cloth one? St. Peter said, well, sir, here today we are results-oriented. And when you preached, people slept. But when he drove, people prayed. <laughs> so it is very easy to have a superiority complex in, in whatever realm of life we are, whether it's in the city or in the country or wherever we may be. We can find ways to measure ourselves against a standard that God doesn't want us to measure. 
We are 100% dependent on God's grace. That's what I'd like you to leave with today. I am 100% dependent upon God's grace. Every gift, every talent, everything that he's given to me is something he's chosen to give to me. Now, I choose to do with it, right? And I have results-oriented things. If, I'm, if I work hard, God will reward those things, but he's given me the ability to even work hard. He could take that away at any moment. I'm 100% dependent on his grace. It's easy for me to get frustrated with other drivers when they mess up, when they cause accidents they shouldn't have caused. It's not natural on my own to give them grace. And today we can see uh, from the Apostle Peter, he probably had a very similar experience where he had to be called to do something by God that was not in his wheelhouse. Uh, there was a man named Cornelius who was a Gentile. This is in the book of Acts chapter 10. And Cornelius had, had gotten this vision from God and he called for Peter and Peter showed up and Peter was asked to go to his home and Cornelius was a Gentile, and the Jews didn't associate with them because that was the law. They weren't to do those things. And so Peter goes, and he begins to speak in verse 34 of chapter 10 in Acts. Peter began to speak. He says, I now truly understand that God does not show favoritism, but he welcomes those from every nation who fear him and do what is right. I now truly understand God's doing a new work here. That where I used to draw a dividing line, where I used to have a fence raised up, a border to keep me separated from you, God has now torn that down. So Peter and all the Jews, what they witnessed while Peter was telling Cornelius and those around, the Gentiles, the, the gospel of Christ, what they witnessed was the Holy Spirit poured out on them and, and, and manifests himself in a way that was evident to everyone who was there. He was speaking the gospel to them. The Holy Spirit fell on them. And God changed Peter in that moment to realize that everything I had learned all these years has been changed. This is a huge transition for him. It's like waking up one morning and realizing all these years I've been doing something terrible, like putting ketchup on a hot dog. Who would do that? Amen. I got one somebody's with me. All these years, I've been doing it this wrong way, and so God has new instructions for him. There's another time in the book of Acts chapter 15 where the, the Jews are arguing over whether the Gentiles needed to follow the Jewish customs in order to properly follow Jesus, right? Sounds like they were Baptists before Baptists were cool, right? They were arguing over these things. In chapter 15, verse 18, excuse me, 15, verse 8 and 9, we read this, and God who knows the heart showed his approval by giving them, the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, the Jews. He made no distinction between them and us, and he cleansed them. He cleansed their hearts by faith. So the Holy Spirit fell on them too, and they were speaking in tongues, and it was a glorious experience that didn't make, necessarily make sense to the mind but you understood clearly that it was evident that God was at work in a powerful way because everybody, in whatever tongue they were speaking, they were praising God. And so whether it's your prayer life or whether it's your, your, just your time in, in communicating with one another, one of the litmus tests I like to 
to give myself and, and challenge you this morning is, are my words being used to praise God in this moment? Is it edifying the people and praising God? Is it lifting up or is it tearing down? Is it criticizing? It's so easy to criticize. That's the world we live in. But God is calling you to something new. He's calling you to be extensions of his grace, stewards of his grace, to be a part of the administration, not the White House administration, but the kingdom of God administration to extend this grace. There's a special responsibility that he has put on you and me. Peter had said no to going to the Gentiles many times before, and he'll struggle with it later on as well. But God said yes. He had a tendency to write them off. And Jesus said, no, we're not writing them off anymore. We are all 100% dependent, Jew and Gentile, on God's grace. So Peter is one of my favorite people in the Bible. Uh, he, he makes a lot of mistakes, and I'm glad he does, honestly, because we learn from them. And I, I feel like if I were in his shoes, uh, well, I'd be, I'd be wearing sandals probably. But, but other than that, if I were in his shoes metaphorically, where he were, I think I would probably make more mistakes than he did. I do think he deserves the name The Rock, right? He was strong. He loved the Lord. He defended him. He wanted to do what was right. But he made mistakes. In fact, he made the worst of all mistakes. The Lord said, Peter, tonight you're going to deny me three times. He's like, you're kidding me? I would never deny you. I would never do that, Lord. And guess what he did? He did. He was devastated. He was gone. And in the Gospel of Mark, you hear this, uh, the account of the resurrection, the messenger is there. It says, go and tell the disciples. And then there's the comma there, and it says, and Peter, that he is risen. Why is Peter mentioned by name? Because he needed it. And sometimes I am thankful that the Lord mentions me by name too, because I mess up. Bill knows some of my flaws and the challenges we've gone through, and I've shared with him some of the reactions I've had in moments of just raw hurt and anger. And in those moments, Bill doesn't turn away from me and say, I, I am so disappointed in you. I can't believe you did that. He reminds me that God's grace is there. For me, for you, for Peter. He was a pioneer of the faith, and we see him make a lot of mistakes, but he, he had to turn the entirety, or so much of his faith was just turned upside down because Jesus died and rose again and did something that they were, none of them were anticipating this. So he had to reevaluate the old way versus the new way, or actually became known as the way. The old way, I can't mingle with Gentiles, but wait a second. New way, I can. The old way, I, I can't, or only Jews can worship God truly. Wait, the new way says any nation can call on the name of the Lord and worship him truly. The old way, only Jews can be the chosen people of God. The new way says, God says, I'm choosing all kinds of people. And I'm not determined by the walls that have been raised by sinful men. These are huge transitions. I don't think it was natural for Peter to go through them either. I don't think it was easy for him. I think it was a struggle. And sometimes our faithfulness to extend grace or whatever it is God's calling us to do to love someone is a struggle. And I don't want 
inwardly to do something if I'm not all in it. Does that make sense? Like if, if Carrie and I are in an argument, Carrie's my wife, and I don't want to apologize ever, but anyway, I don't want to apologize if I don't really mean it. But I've been married 22 years, and the reason is I've learned to do it anyway. I don't mean it at this moment, but I apologize because I know it's the right step to make, and I pray, God, help me mean it. Change my heart as I take this step of faith. In the same way, there are things that God calls us to do that we may not be fully on board with. Like, I don't want to extend this person grace in this moment. It doesn't make any sense to me. And that's a chance for us to take, take a step of faith and say, I'm going to extend grace to them. And Lord, I'm going to trust that you're going to change my heart on the other side of it. I see one step to take. I'm going to take this one step, and then God will give me enough light to take the next step. It's not always easy. You feel like a hypocrite, but it's not a, a hypocritical thing to take a step of faith of doing what God knows, what you know God wants you to do. When I'm driving Uber and I easily extend grace to drivers that are doing things that they shouldn't be doing, it's a, a reminder, hey, grace is going down deeper. This is good. Thank you, Lord. It's an indication that the, the Spirit of God is changing my life. It's a sign that my heart is worshiping Jesus. Whether I'm driving Uber or, or preaching a sermon, I'm impacting the kingdom of God. I'm going to say that again because I didn't say it in the first service. Whether I'm preaching a sermon or driving Uber, I am impacting the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what your job is, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or a dad or working, whatever it is, you are impacting the kingdom if you are living and breathing. And you are called to be an extension of God's grace. It starts to become natural to us when we remember how God, right now, in this moment, is extending grace on you now. 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 Remember God's faithfulness to you, and it will start to change your heart. Have you heard the, the, the phrase, hurt people hurt people? Basically, it means if I have wounds and, and I'm hurting, then basically the instinct is for me to go and do that to other people. I want you to feel the pain that I feel. That's the way a lot of these things are within us. The inverse to that would be this, and this is where I wanted us to lead to today, is that healed people heal people. So if I'm no longer in that stage of hurt and I found my healing through God's grace, then what am I going to give? Grace. The problem is I still have wounds. The good news is as God continues to lead me forward in my next step of faith, faith and those wounds are exposed, the good news is God is there ready to heal them. Now some of these wounds hurt where you realize, wow, I did not realize I struggle with this. I didn't realize that I was so prejudiced toward this kind of person. I didn't realize that I had bitterness in my heart or insecurity or whatever it is. I don't like this at all. The good news is God knows how to heal that and bring it to the surface in a way that is not there to embarrass you or humiliate you because Jesus took every drop of shame for you on the cross. Hallelujah. Every bit of it. And so we can come to him freely. And we know that God loves us, not because we finally figured it out and stopped messing up, but we know God loves us because of his faithfulness to us on the cross. We have faith in the faithfulness 
of Jesus. Life is difficult. You're going to mess up. You're going to have those moments like Peter where you're, you're going to have to be rebuked by someone like Paul. It's like, bruh, you're messing up here. Stop it. All right? We need those moments. The good news is, the good news is, those aren't there to tear us down. They're there to, to build us up. Relationships are difficult. Life is difficult. Remember the faithfulness of Jesus. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, we'll look there for a moment. For it is by grace you have been saved. Ephesians 2, 8, this is a very popular verse. You should know this one. If you don't, take this one and memorize it. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. That word faith there, if you want to highlight it or underline it or just remember it, when you read that word, most of the time in the New Testament, you can, you can go a little deeper with that word. It's not just faith abstract, like have faith and mean whatever you want it to mean. That faith is specifically targeted to mean this. It is through faith, parentheses, in the faithfulness of Jesus. I have faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. Not in my ability to live up to a certain standard, but my faith is in that Jesus has done it all for me. I have faith in his faith. He never messed up. He never had those moments where he went back on his word or, or in those raw moments ever sinned. He faced our temptations but didn't sin. Your faith is to be targeted in the faithfulness of Jesus. And that's going to fill your tank with grace so that you can extend it to others. I'll close with this. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul is writing again to a church that was going through lots of issues. And he writes to them and he says in verse 6 of chapter 3, he says, But Timothy has just come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith in the faithfulness of Jesus and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. These people lived in a world where it was not advantageous to be a Christian. And that world is coming to, to Oklahoma as well. A day is probably coming at some point in the future where the Christianity uh, tag or title or, or name that you carry with you will not give you advantages in the culture around you. I don't have any advantage, to my knowledge, I haven't found it yet in 11 years in being a Christian in New York City. In fact, it often opens me up to, um, to mocking. But my faith remains not in the fact that it, it brings me advantages. My faith remains that it brings me life because of the faithfulness of Jesus. And so I want to encourage you with that as well. He closes, it, or not closes, but he finishes that chapter with verses 12 and 13, speaking a blessing over the people at Thessalonica. He says, May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And I pray this same blessing over you. If you would, just bow your head and close your eyes, and I'd like to pray over you before our time of invitation. And I pray that as I, as I speak this blessing over you, that you'll have a posture to receive, not to give anything to the Lord at this moment, but to receive a blessing. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would cause every person here to increase in their love for one another. Not only to increase, but to abound 
in love for one another. And as Paul writes here, for all people as well. Especially for those who are close to us that sometimes don't receive our grace because we take them for granted. May we give them grace today, Lord. For those people that are on the other side of the aisle, whatever division it is, may we love them just as you love us. Lord, I pray that you would establish the hearts of every person here. Establish their heart so that they would be without blame. That they would continue to be as you've called them, holy before our God and Father. Especially on that beautiful day when you come back with all of your saints and you right every wrong. You bring justice bring grace and you pour out mercy in a way that we've never known before in Jesus name